tuning in with Care Asia, bringing human stories to life. Welcome to another episode of Tuning In with KR Asia. I'm your host, Sarah Mandagi. This episode, we are delighted to have Rama Sridhar with us. She is the Executive Vice President, Digital and Emerging Partnerships, New Payment Flows for Asia Pacific at MasterCard. Today, we'll talk about digital payment landscape here in Asia Pacific as well as financial inclusion. But not only that, we'll also discussing a little bit of gender equality and women leadership. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rama right now. Rama, thank you for taking your time to do this interview with us, Kiara Asia. We are so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me on the show, and it's yeah. my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Okay, so MasterCard's mission is to connect, empower, and inclusive digital economy that benefits everyone, right? First thing first, would you mind to tell us how would you define financial inclusion? How do we make it inclusive for everyone? Great question. Financial inclusion, as I define it, is about bringing everyone into the digital economy, everyone to have access to banking services and does not necessarily start with a bank account, but it basically means everybody needs to have an account in which they can receive payments and an account from which they can pay. Mm. And that is the beginning of financial inclusion. Our aim okay. at MasterCard is to connect and power an inclusive digital economy that benefits everyone. I see. What happens when people don't have the access or connection to the infrastructure that covers digital payments or banking service? When they don't have an access, the fact is that growth will get impacted. Growth of an economy gets impacted because it's very important to be able to create transparency and access to funds for economies to grow and to realize the vision of building cashless societies in Asia. And you may already know this. Mm. It represents a third of the global growth in digital payments and innovative fintech players actually creating the new opportunities for growth. And so if these infrastructures are not connected, they do not give access to people, particularly the underserved. ASEAN as a region has the highest population of underserved citizens from a financial inclusion perspective. And therefore, this becomes really critical that this infrastructure, the digital payment infrastructure, is created in with somewhat of a hurry. Hmm. As you oversee Asia-Pacific region, uh, how would you describe the state of digitization and the payments landscape here in the region? So it's a very vibrant region for a few reasons. Firstly, the convergence of smartphones in the region and the digitalization of commerce, both of which is supported by huge fintech investments and the government's agenda, the regulatory agenda around digital and financial inclusion, all those factors come together to create what I call the perfect backdrop for electronic payment technology mm -hmm. to multiply in Asia, right? So the first thing really is electronic payments, I will say, are increasingly a part of regulators' national digital agendas. So that's very encouraging. The second thing is if you see In many countries in Southeast Asia, they're developing domestic real-time payment systems, such as yeah. Singapore's Fast, PromPay in Thailand, 
Banknet Instapay in Philippines. Mm. These allow these consumers to transact 24 by 7 by 365 in real or near real time basis. And that decreases their dependence on cash. As a result of all of this, we are seeing tremendous growth momentum. So the first thing is real-time payments, digitization agenda of regulators, and the growth in smartphones. The second big opportunity area that we look at is e-wallets in Asia. There are more than Mm -hmm. 150 e-wallets registered in Asia. And I think that's a significant game changer Mm -hmm. because e-wallet is a quasi-bank account, if you like, for all the underserved. And we are working with all the large wallet players so that we can bring these unbanked or underserved into the financial ecosystem. So between the wallets, the smartphones, the rise of real-time payments, and the regulatory agenda to realize cashless, I think this is the state of digitization preparedness that we actually see all across Asia. I see. You're talking about Asia, right? But how does it compare to other regions in the world? Asia is slightly different, I will say. Most countries in Asia do not have long-standing legacy payment systems in place. So therefore, Asia has a greater ability to leapfrog ahead compared to other regions. Mm. And this is very visible in what we have seen in India. We've seen this in Singapore and Thailand. We're going to see this in Philippines and a few other economies as well. Um, You know, the only country perhaps which is slightly different is Japan, which has a longstanding legacy system, right? Mm. So this allows it to lead in adopting new technologies quickly and efficiently. The other big factor in Asia really is the younger population. Mm. The population in Asia is skewed towards the young, and therefore they are much quicker and faster at adopting digitization. I already mentioned that regulatory narrative is very focused on the whole cashless agenda and that becomes a key driver. Now this is slightly different in other markets. We are seeing in the more mature markets particularly in the west where card systems have been around for a much longer time period and most of the population is perhaps carded the emphasis on cashless is much more on the card rails. In Asia, we actually see a combination of both the card rails and the real-time payment systems playing out. So that's one big difference. The other big difference, quite frankly, is with the exception of Laos, which has a higher wallet population than bank population, most of the markets in Asia have a significant bank and wallet population as opposed to card population. That's also a clear area of difference. The third one really is very similar to Europe. Asia is a very high cross-border active region. So therefore, even while you're solving for payment infrastructure in the domestic market, there is a simultaneous opportunity to solve for cross-border payments within the region both on person-to-person flows, but also on the more business opportunity flows as well, trade flows as well. I see. Thank you for your insights. So can you give us more of examples or insights on how partnership across the payment ecosystems may unlock 
new financial possibilities for people and businesses. So we believe that building partnerships is very critical mm-hmm. to unlock financial possibilities for ourselves as a company, for the general public and the businesses, all of it together, because it's almost impossible for any one organization to have all of the product capability that is required and be able to reach all the sections of society that you want to reach, right? So some of the examples that I'm happy to share is Mm -hmm. on the FinTech side, for example, we partnered with Rapid last year to accelerate FinTech onboarding because they offer FinTech as a service platform, which basically means that most of these new fintechs we want which want to offer payment solutions they don't have to build the backend platforms by themselves they could work with rapid because rapid works with us and therefore you know create speed in going to market right another one that we did was tonic in philippines who aims to drive financial inclusion through digital first products and experiences mm-hmm. and they will reach a population that has perhaps not been tapped enough by the banking system. Then we also think that the SME segment is very crucial. So we partnered with PayMongo in Philippines, Mm. who essentially will work to enable SME disbursements. And we believe they'll be able to create online acceptance to enable SMEs in Philippines to accept online payments, right? Beyond that, we have partnered on the remittance side with a few players, Neum, Panda Remit, who do the China outbound, TransferWise, who is a much more global player. All of these are remittance-focused partnerships. So those are some of the few that I can talk about. And then in India, we have also partnered with a player like Bharat Pay, who's essentially also trying to card the SME flows for lending and deposits and other financial services. I see. Well, a lot of things you guys have done, of course, MasterCard. Okay, now I'm talking about the reflective of this year, this unusual year, 2020. What would be the key takeaways of this year, especially about the workforce that you guys, MasterCards, have been doing, and perhaps you can add with your own personal reflection. Sure. First, I'll give you what I see as representing MasterCard and then my own personal reflection. Yes. Mm -hmm. So clearly, some of the undeniable takeaways of this year are we've always wanted digitization to pick up. At the end of 2020, this is not an option anymore. What we have seen regulators clearly drive is speed of digitization. Mm -hmm. So I am very convinced that over the next two years, the rate of change or the rate of digitization in the next two to five years will be significantly more than perhaps it was in the last 20, 25 years, right? So that's going to happen. Two, what is also proved is that there are multiple players in the ecosystem who can solve the problem of financial inclusion. And it is not just the focus of any one segment, whether it is the government or the big banks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So therefore, fintech players, technology platforms, wallet Mm -hmm. players, all of them come together and then leverage the payment infrastructure, whether that's cards or remittances or it is real-time payments Mm -hmm. in order to make that change happen. So there are two big changes that I think are significant Mm. and the whole gig economy and the way it works 
all of this has now become a permanent feature of our lives right yeah on a personal reflection when i look at this year i think it's done a few things one it has restored respectability to working from home mm-hmm. where you have an option yeah. so working from home is a real possibility many people who were earlier challenged particularly women who were opting out of their careers can now firmly consider this to be an option mm-hmm. the flip side of this working from home as a personal reflection again it is a privilege of a few a lot of people who are dependent on manual labor who are actually working with doing trades working from home is not an option and this has highlighted the difference between perhaps a much more white collar office going segment and a gig worker or a tradesman or somebody who's actually mm. in the labor segment so to speak right so mm. the stark difference is playing out much more I see. Okay, okay. This will be my last question. As mentioned earlier, I would like to ask you about gender equality as the opportunities for women in this era to do leadership as well. I heard that you have a teenage daughter. Yeah, I have an 18 year old. Yes. So yeah, what word do you hope for your own daughter when she grows up and when it comes to gender equality and women leadership? So one thing I think about is a few years later maybe 15 mm. 20 years later if i was having a conversation with her and saying how i used to be one of 20 men or 30 men or 400 men yes. in a room mm. she looks at me strangely and say what are you even talking about there are as many women in the room that i sit in as there mm. are men that would be a wonderful conversation to have all. <laughs> <laughs> and i also hope coming from the kind of regions that we do I hope that in most countries where women feel unsafe mm. I hope that as many years they never have to fear any space public private mm. geography or the corporate room when mm. it comes to speaking their minds mm. and asserting what they want from whichever group they're participating in women should be naturally confident and expect their dues This is really what I would hope for my own daughter when she grows up and every other girl. Yeah, that's beautiful to hear. Okay, I think that's the end of today's interview. It's very short, direct and beautiful. I think I heard a lot of insights and you close it with a wonderful statement. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Really appreciate you making time. Yeah, appreciate you guys too.